Speak to you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. We were at a clergy conference, and the preacher took off his watch, and he said, you know what it means when a, he said, when a Baptist preacher takes off his watch, it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> I will try to keep it short. Well, welcome today. It's... Uh, want to remember those that you may have noticed the uh, flower we have on it's called a poppy some of you will know that this, uh, it's a way to remember those who the veterans and those who have fallen in war it's uh, very common in the UK and in Canada our school lower school this year is uh, uh, studying poppies and what they mean so we're that's why they have the poppies on it's great to have a Sunday where we spay, give a special thanks for those who have sacrificed and risked things so that we might have freedom we're going to be looking at the scripture passages today. I invite you to look along if you like in your bulletin. There's one character who uh, appears throughout the readings, not in the Hebrews reading, but in every other reading. There's a special character who makes an appearance. Did you discover who that was? It's the widow. The widow is uh, named seven times in the readings today. So I thought it'd be fun to look at that. It's rather appropriate that we look at the widow on the Sunday before Veterans Day because, of course, war is the great widow maker. Uh, we concentrate on the soldiers who went over, the young boys uh, who risked their lives and sometimes died, and husbands who went over. And uh, we sometimes forget about the widows and father, fatherless left behind in the wake of war. And we want to remember them as well. But let's look at what the scriptures say in the stories about the widows. A widow, of course, is a symbol of, a, of a, often of, a, of a exposure, of risk, of vulnerability, uh, powerless and poor. They're dependent, disenfranchised often uh, by gender, by marital status, by age, and in our first story, also by race. And it's interesting to think what it must have been like to have been so vulnerable as a widow in that culture before things like social security. The Bible talks a lot about our responsibility to widows. Uh, one of the laws given at Sinai said, you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. They were to execute justice for the fatherless and the widow. We have the wonderful story of Ruth, who becomes a widow in a foreign land. The Psalms refer to God as father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. In Proverbs, it reminds us that the Lord tears down the house of the proud but maintains the widow's boundaries. In Luke, the widow Anna was the first person to see Jesus in the temple. And in the book of Acts, the first big brouhaha of the early church was the distribution to the widows in the community. And if it was being fair. The, first, the phrase I'd like to take today from my text is, out of her great poverty, she has given all that she has. Out of her great poverty, she's given all that she has. So that will be kind of the guiding verse. Let's look first at the Old Testament lesson. Elijah comes to Sidon, a foreign country, and there's a widow there. He comes to her and he says, can you give me a drink of water? And she says she goes off in verse 10 to get a drink of water. While she's going, he said, oh, by the way, could you also get me something to eat? 
And she turns around and kind of, you can just imagine this woman with her hands on her hips in verse 12 saying, as the Lord lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of meal in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm going to gather a couple of sticks so that I may go home and prepare it for myself and my son that we might eat it and die. She is in a desperate situation. And it's, it's easy to read this as Elijah has come along to feed her and to help her. But it's not, that's not the story at all. If you look back at verse 8, I hope you're following in your bulletin. In verse 8, it says, God says, I have commanded a widow to feed you. God showed up to this widow who has nothing and says, oh, there's a prophet coming. I want you to feed him. It's very much like this out of her poverty. She gives what she has. And Elijah allows her to see how, uh, while she can't feed herself, she's to feed him with physical food. He will show her how God can feed her soul, how God can be her protector, how God can be her trust. And so it's a wonderful story that leads well into the next passages. So she is then fed. Her jar doesn't run out. Until the rains come. The rains come and water the earth. And God again takes care of her. Okay, look at the Psalms. This is a contrast between who we put our trust in. In verses 2 and 3 it says, Put not your trust in rulers. Now that's a very natural thing to do. Our life is governed by people in authority. People who are hired or elected to take care of us. But it goes on to say, For there's no help in them. When they breathe their last, they return to earth, and in that day, their thoughts perish. They're gone. It's very transitory. Contrast that to the next two verses. Happy are they who have the God of Jacob for their help, whose hope is in the Lord their God. His promises keep forever. So there's this great contrast between the rulers of the earth who will one day go away with all their plans and machinations and the God of Jacob who will be there Forever, He is the one that we need to put our trust in, to figure out, to relate to in the proper way. Now this God of Jacob in the next three verses has this wonderful list of who he cares about. And we, gotta, we have to ask ourselves, if we love God and want to follow him and want to be like him, shouldn't we also be caring for these people? Let's look at the list in 6, 7, and 8. Gives justice to the oppressed food to the hungry, sets the prisoners free, opens the eyes of the blind, lifts up those who are bowed down, loves the righteous, cares for the stranger, sustains the orphan and widow. How many is in that list? Is that nine? Who's going to count? Someone count. One of those kids is about to fall asleep. Just count them for me. How many people, categories, things we should care about? If we're trusting in God, then he is going to use us to make sure things work. Now in verse 8, if you look at verse 8 at the end, it's this, it becomes this nice contrast. It's not just the end of the list where he sustains the orphan and widow, but it's this contrast. He frustrates the way of the wicked, which is a great lead into, into the gospel story where we have the religious leaders and this uh, widow. So let's turn to the gospel reading. Teaching in the temple, Jesus said, Beware the scribes. They like to walk around in long robes, have the nice seats, be greeted. 
I mean, it's hard not to read this as a religious leader, a priest, and say, whoa, you know, am I falling into this trap? What's he saying about me? And their relationship to the widow, of course, is not to help the widow. They are devouring their houses. Do you think God will idly sit by while they devour their houses and then they make a pretense of the prayers to make it look like it was their religious duty or obligation? I was, we were watching a YouTube video the other day on Fred Rogers, who was receiving a Lifetime Achievement Award and got up to the microphone. You've probably seen this clip, as only Fred Rogers could do, and says, fame is a four-letter word. And like tape or Zoom or face or pain or life or love, what ultimately matters is what we do with it. I feel that those of us in television are chosen to be servants. It doesn't matter what our particular job. We are chosen to help meet the deep needs of those who watch and listen day and night. We all have only one life to live on earth. And through television, we have the ability to demean it or to bless it. Sorry, I lost that quote. The cho we have the choice of encouraging others to demean this life or to cherish it in creative, imaginative ways. Religious leaders are called to be servants. That's why we wear the robes we do. The white robes cover our own poverty and sinfulness and limitations. The black robes we wear remind us that we are called to be servants because that was the gear of a mid Middle Ages servant. So then he looks, so we have this contrast, beware the scribes, and then he turns to this widow who is giving uh, her contribution to the temple. And this wonderful phrase, he says, for they have contributed out of their abundance, and she has contributed out of their poverty. And it made me wonder, what does it mean to contribute out of our poverty? What would it mean for me to contribute out of my poverty? I like to think that I could accumulate enough possessions that I could give to God something significant. I would like to think that I could be successful enough, that I could make a significant, substantial contribution to the work of God and think that he would be very pleased with it. And I forget that everything that I, that I have is the Lord's. All of my possession, my family, my life is on loan to me and he is the master. And when I came in baptism and laid it all at his feet, I acknowledged that he is the owner and Lord of all, and that anything I give is out of a recognition of my own poverty, my own sense of dependence. And it says that she has given out of her poverty. The commentator William Berkeley comments on this certain recklessness in giving and says it's a strange and lovely thing that the person whom the New Testament and Jesus handed down to history as a pattern of generosity was a person who gave a gift of half a farthing. I leave us with the question. I don't know the answer. But Jesus gives us the example of the widow to understand that they, she was dependent and she could not trust in social security because they didn't have it. She couldn't trust in religious leaders because they would devour her house. She had to trust in God. May God bring us to a place 
of acknowledging our dependency upon him, that we might rejoice in our poverty and give to him from that. And when we do that, we are being like Jesus Christ. As Paul refers to him in 1 Corinthians, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.